Well, when I was in prep, we had a blind uh, kid in our class. And uh, I was only in the class for two terms before we moved uh, somewhere else. But I remember that uh, we had to spend a day kind of putting ourselves into our friend's shoes. And I have a vivid memory. It's probably the only memory I have of this prep class that I was in for two terms in uh, country New South Wales uh, of uh, all of us taking turns, putting a blindfold on and walking out of our classroom and having to walk down uh, a few steps. Uh, and the point that the teacher was trying to get across to us uh, was that uh, for our little friend, life was different and more difficult than it was for those of us who could see. And of course, from that point on, uh, the idea was that we would try and help our friend um, as he needed to get around to the different parts of our school for the different things that we would do. A, viv a very vivid uh, memory and one that sort of stuck with me uh, that being blind would be very difficult. It was hard in 1990 in rural New South Wales when I was in prep. I imagine it's still hard in 2022, even though you, there are things like Siri and uh, um, all those other wonderful bits of technology. I have no doubt that in the first century in Jerusalem, it was even more difficult. And in this story, we read what happens when Jesus encounters a man whose life to date has been characterised by blindness. We see that this is a man born blind from birth in verse 1. And this provokes a question from the disciples. And, you know, I think it's sort of fair enough when you consider their theological framework, which you can see behind the question. Rabbi, who sinned this man's parents, uh, this man or his parents, that he was born blind in verse 2? Uh, the disciples believe that you can kind of figure out uh, what's wrong with someone based on a kind of tracing a line of, of sin. It's, there's got to be some reason why this has happened. It's got to do with sin, so it must be either his fault or some sort of generational problem, perhaps his parents' fault. And what a moment, right? You've got a theological conundrum and you've got Jesus right in front of you. What a great moment to ask a question like that. Can you sort out once and for all the problem of suffering? Why is this guy blind? Whose fault is it? Who sinned to make it happen? A question I'm sure we've asked ourselves as we've had to deal with the, our own suffering. Why did this happen? Why is my family member or friend or neighbour having this difficulty? And of course, I'd be preaching a whole different sermon if verse 3, Jesus gave a treatise, a treatise on suffering. But that's not what happens. He kind of changes the whole equation, doesn't he? Verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Well, he does kind of say something about the disciples' worldview, uh, that, that is, get over this idea of trying to trace whose fault it is. 
We can't say anything about generational or specific sin that has caused this man to be blind. We, in fact, in this instance, there's nothing to say at all about what the actual cause of this is, apart from the sin in general. But what we do see is that sin and suffering is an occasion for God to be glorified. And how does that happen? We see in verses 4 and 5, Jesus say, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus has been sent by the Father... He's the one who brings light to darkness in this very physical demonstration of that as he opens the eyes of the blind man. And we read in verses 6 and 7, don't we, the mechanics of how Jesus does that. This man's blindness, this man's suffering is an occasion for people to realise who Jesus is. It's an occasion to point people to Christ and therefore to bring God glory through Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean his blindness is good, but it does mean Jesus is good. It does mean Jesus should be glorified. Look, he can make the blind see. And not only that, as he performs the miracle, we're able to truly see who Jesus is, the light of the world, the one who brings God's light into the world that is darkened by sin. And of course, that's the beauty of John chapter 9, is it opens with this blind man getting healed, but the main story is about a different kind of blindness, isn't it? It's about the spiritual blindness of the people of the day, in particular the Pharisees, who just refuse to see who Jesus is. The physical miracle is amazing. People notice it. Imagine you live in Lindisfarne and for the last 20 or 30 years as you've been wandering the streets, you've always noticed the blind man who sat in front of the little shop. Uh, and now... That guy, who we all kind of know and whom we talk about in the uh, Lindisfarne Facebook group from time to time, uh, uh, that, that I'm sure you've joined and left because it's passive-aggressive nightmare group. Uh, you, you know, we, we've talked about him, we, we've seen him, and now he's walking around without any help and it's like he can see. That would be amazing that would cause questions and that's what happens right his neighbors verse 8 and those who had form formerly seen him begging asked isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg and there's a mixture of responses some are like yep that's definitely him verse 9 others no no it, he must have had a twin all along it only looks like him it's definitely not him because blind people who beg don't get up and walk and see. But he insists, no, no, I promise you, it's me. Well, how did this happen? Verse 10. And he replies, Jesus did it. Jesus opened my eyes, in verse 11. 
And so they ask, well, we want to see Jesus. Where is he? We, we want to find out more about this. And he doesn't know where Jesus has gone. And so they do the next best thing, which is a miracle has happened. Let's go to the people who know about God and kind of try and figure this out. And so they take him to the Pharisees in verse 13 and show, hey, look, this guy can see. But the miracle poses a problem for the Pharisees on multiple levels. But the one that seems to present as the main issue in verse 14 is that it happened on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees know that good and godly people don't do work on the Sabbath, as though you can conceive of the miracle of healing a work. The Pharisee said, verse 16, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can sinners perform such a sign? And so they were divided. You've got the one group saying, there's no way God would do something like this on Saturdays. And the other group going, yeah, but like, it's seen, I'm pretty sure it's only God who can make the blind see. How are we going to resolve this? I don't know, let's ask the, let's ask the, the guy who used to be blind what, what happened. So what do you say about Jesus, they ask in verse 17. Uh, Seen as it was your eyes, he opened. And the man gives sort of step one to uh, his spiritual sight. Well, he, he has to at least be a prophet, he says in verse 17. And that's not the answer they were hoping for. I think maybe they were hoping he would say nothing or that he'd maybe somehow throw Jesus under the bus. But he doesn't. He says, this man has to at least be a prophet. And so, in verses 18 and 19, they go, well, look, we're still not convinced that this guy actually got healed. Uh, let's go find his parents. So they go, they get his parents, they ask, is this your son, verses 18 and 19? Uh, and can, was he born blind? Can he now see? And his parents say, yep, verse 20 and 22, this is our son, but look, we don't, we're staying out of this debate. Now, it kind of feels a bit harsh on one level, isn't it, that mum and dad, you'd hope that your mum and dad uh, would come and sort of back you up a little bit. And they do in the sense that they say, well, he was blind and he can now see, but as to the mechanics of how that happened... We don't want to have anything to do with that. And what John does in this part of the story is show us that the Pharisees kind of have already made their mind up about things. There's this appearance of wanting to get to the truth of, did Jesus really heal this blind man and is he really from God? But in fact, it's all for show. The, the, the Pharisees have already decided that they want nothing to do with Jesus. And his parents know this because that's why they kind of try and stay out of it. We read in verses 22 and 23, don't we? His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age ask him and so 
failing to get what they want from the parents, which is some sort of rejection of the idea that this healing even happened, they bring the man in and they summon him and they say, verse 24, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know this man is a sinner. They're revealing their true colours now. Jesus could not have healed you. Stop lying. He is not from God. He is a sinner. And the blind man responds, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He calls the Pharisees out. And as they continue to question and to poke and prod, he says to them, classically, verse 27, I've already told you and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? The only reason that you could be so interested in this must be that you're interested in Jesus. And they say, of course not. We're on team Moses. Jesus, we we want nothing to do with him. This is a remarkable moment, really. For here we have a blind beggar who's received his sight, taking to task the leaders of the day for their stubbornness and their unwillingness to believe. How can you not know where Jesus has come from when you can see that I can see. The man takes them to task, verse 33. That's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What is wrong with you Pharisees? It's, it's so obvious. How can you not get it? And this is where John begins to show us that the real problem is not physical blindness, though that is a problem, but the deeper problem is spiritual blindness. The man gets his sight back, but that would be of little use if he didn't also see the truth about Jesus and give glory to God for what had happened. And that's what happens, isn't it? The Pharisees get uptight and annoyed at him for not kind of bending to their wills about calling Jesus a sinner and um, being able to condemn Jesus. They kick him out and then Jesus finds him again in verse 35 and asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the, man, the blind man, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus' response, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He's had a two-step seeing process. From physically blind to physical sight and from spiritually blind to spiritual sight. He sees who Jesus is. He sees him standing before him. He understands who he is, to, who he is and he worships. But the Pharisees 
do not. The Pharisees refuse to see, refuse to look, refuse to worship and seek only to condemn the Son of Man. They are blind, blind guides. So what are we going to make of this story? It's hard, isn't it, when you're blind? Physically, but spiritually too. And the only cure to spiritual blindness, the deeper problem, is Jesus. Jesus is the one who helps us to truly see. Jesus is the one who helps us to see what God is saying through Scripture. Jesus is the one who helps us to make sense of the things that happen to us. One of the great dangers of this story in chapter 9 is that we use it to elevate experience over Scripture. So, we you can see how that happens, can't you? The blind man has this experience where he's healed, he has this experience of meeting Jesus and he believes Jesus and he's commended. The Pharisees are obsessed with law-keeping and doing what the Bible says, the Old Testament at least, and uh, rule-keeping and Sabbath-keeping and they reject Jesus. And so people say, this is an argument for why you should believe in your heart and let God just guide you and don't get too hung up on the Bible. But of course, that's not what's going on here at all. Let me just read to you from one of the commentators who writes on this. On the surface, this story may look like a showdown between personal experience and scripture, but it is more complicated than that. The, man, the man's statement that if Jesus were not from God, he could do nothing, is not true, strictly speaking. The words of the Egyptian magicians in Exodus, uh, the works, sorry, of the Egyptian magici magicians in Exodus show as much. Indeed, Jesus warns against false Christs and false prophets who will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect in Matthew 24 and speaks of those whose pro who prophesy in his name, cast out demons in his name, do many mighty works in his names whom he does not know at all in Matthew 7. So experience is not an infallible guide. But the scriptures in and of themselves are not an infallible guide either as the example of the Jewish opponents reveal. It depends on one's interpretation. And the Christian claim is that the scriptures are an organic whole that makes sense when interpreted in the light of Jesus Christ. Under the guidance, the Spirit has provided the church. And then he, uh, and he gives some references later in John that we'll come to later on. The bottom line is that we need God to guide our understanding of both scripture and our experience as they point us to Christ. Christians have a Christocentric understanding of the world. That is, Christ is at the centre of everything and everything we do and experience and read has to go through Jesus, has to point us to Jesus, has to, help, has to be understood through the lens of Jesus. 
God's word points us to Jesus. Our experiences, we need to seek how they point us to Jesus. And if we're going to do that, then we need to be like the blind man in our attitude and unlike the Pharisees. For the blind man has a humble kind of openness in the way he goes about operating, doesn't he? We see it in verse 25, when he's getting challenged by the Pharisees. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. And again in verse 36, when Jesus is talking to him and he asks him about, does he know who, who the Son of Man is? He says, no, I don't. Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe. I don't know. This is amazing. You're amazing. Just, like, help me understand. It's a humble openness to, to, to figuring out what it means to worship Jesus. But the Pharisees are not like that. They're self-assured. They think they've got it all together. There's no humility. There's no willingness on their behalf to admit they might be wrong and they need to rethink. Verse 16, the Pharisees say, this man's not from God, speaking of Jesus, for he does not keep the Sabbath. We've got rules and he doesn't fit into our rules. Verse 22, the Jewish leaders had already decided and acknowledged that Jesus was, uh, anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Their minds are closed and made up. And verse 29, we know that God spoke to Moses. We already know how God speaks and we don't need anything else. It's easy to operate like that. To close our minds, to think we've got it all figured out and to miss Jesus. But the scriptures are designed to open our eyes, to point us to Jesus as God works through them to reveal the glory and wonder of Jesus. The experiences we have in our life God wants to use them to help us to be able to see who Jesus is. Spiritual blindness is a terrible thing and it afflicts all sorts of people. But what this story shows us ultimately is that unless God opens our eyes, we will not see. But God is offering sight to all who are willing to look. God is showing you who Jesus is simply by being here today, simply by watching online. He asks simply that you have a humble openness of heart and are willing to see Jesus for who he truly is, the Son of Man, the one who came to say, seek and save the lost, the light in the darkness. Amen. Amen.